Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Warning. Guests of The Roy Green Show may experience the truth, being in the hot seat, and in some cases, crying. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. Later this hour, we'll be speaking with uh, Bernice Thomas and uh, with Lee Humphrey. Bernice Thomas is the sister of Robert Hall, who was abducted by the uh, ISIS-affiliated Islamic terror group, Abu Sayyaf, in uh, the Philippines. He and uh, John Ridsdale, two Canadians, were abducted and uh, murdered and beheaded by Abu Sayyaf. And Canada had opportunities to intervene. We understand that there were special forces units ready to go, Philippine and Canadian, JTF-2 perhaps. And uh, preparations had been made to intercede and bring the two Canadians home. Then the prime minister got involved from what uh, Ms. Thomas tells me, and everything stopped. Tell people to be quiet, uh, keep reminding us that we pay no ransom as Canadians. And as uh, Bernice Thomas said to me, we're family. We care about our loved ones. Of course we're going to think about ransom. But we're told by the government that we don't pay ransom and essentially told to back off. There's also some thought that they knew that um, Mr. Ridsdale was about to be killed but did nothing. And um, Bernice Thomas pointed out to me that... Justin Trudeau, while in the Philippines, said, I hope this all works out. This is the Prime Minister of Canada. I hope this all works out. Really. You had opportunity to save two Canadian lives. Why didn't you take the opportunity, Mr. Prime Minister? Why didn't our federal government let the military do what they do, let them do what they do best? But we're going to start with this story from Montreal Trudeau Airport. There has been a news story for the last couple of days about uh, at least four individuals who sufficiently concerned Montreal area police that they're being investigated for being radicalized. And one of the individuals, at least one, had been spending some considerable time visiting ISIS sites and another one repeat visits to the sites on how to make improvised explosive devices. So not everybody's... I don't think any of them were fired. One of them has was moved away from having access to planes and to, um, to runways. Scott Newark is a uh, former Alberta Crown attorney and former um, policy advisor to the Federal Minister for Public Safety and was the uh, security advisor to both the federal and Ontario governments post-9-11. Scott, you know this, this story very well. Where, where do you start? What's most important to you? Because what people want to know is why were individuals not fired or suspended? And I understand that they probably don't have any maybe fireable uh, cause or evidence. It's, it's individual freedoms versus, what, the law? 
Well, uh, I mean, is this what it breaks down to? No, and I mean, part of the difficulty on this, Roy, is that uh, there is no sort of official report that we can uh, look to for the specific facts on it. This is a, essentially a report about a what sounds like an investigative journalist uh, investigation. Uh, my understanding is that these sound like people who had gone through the uh, screening that is required because it's a special kind of a location at an airport. Uh, they had obtained the, uh, the necessary accreditation, uh, and there's, uh, if, if this is like other airports, and I'm pretty sure this one is as well too, there's different um, essentially um, uh, site access qualifications given to different employees. And then along the way, after they had obtained this, somehow uh, people got became aware of the fact of the details that you described about two people in particular that um, uh, had some, were, I, I think, you know, displaying some uh, disturbing tendencies in relation to Islamic radicalization. It, you can't tell from the material that's been in the media exactly how that occurred. I mean, was that, uh, for example, other employees? There's references to these communications being spread on social media, was that, so therefore maybe was that other employees who notified uh, uh, the uh, airport authority or one of the police agencies there uh, or somebody else outside that did that, but somehow they gained information about this. And my understanding is that um, all four had their security classifications revoked, at least in one case, one of the people that you described uh, wasn't fired, however. He was just simply moved away, theoretically, from places where he could access, you know, higher security areas like uh, like the aircraft or the uh, the runways, things like that. So that of itself raises some questions about, well, you know, wait a minute. Uh, and there is definitely a balancing of interest that takes place here. But when people in today's world want to work at high-security locations like airports, we are absolutely entitled to ask questions about them, first of all, to see whether they are qualified to work in those locations. And by qualified, I mean that they don't, have sec- they don't raise security concerns. And that secondly, you know, after they are approved, that they don't engage in activities that uh, cause us to uh, have those same concerns. So, so on the was one it, hand, so Scott, you know, is it, it's a good thing that this information yeah. was brought to somebody's attention, but this, this issue, uh, as is so many often the case, raises a lot of questions. So if you're hired by an airport and you have access to planes and runways and you have that kind of security clearance, do you sign any sort of contractual agreement with the with the employer, with the federal government, that you will not do this, that you will do this, that you will abide by the following expectations, rules, and commitments? Is that is that kind of form signed or yeah, not? There will be something like that. This okay. Is governed by so Transport what I'm, Canada. What I'm getting at, though, is this. You mentioned that they move one individual away from, and I mentioned this as well, away from planes and runways. Uh is it good enough to just react to one individual's behavior, um, or do you have to look, cast a wider net and look for who else might be involved at the airport? Because one airport in, uh, employee was on television saying, well, this place is like a sieve. Yeah, and, and this is not the only airport where that uh, has I wouldn't occurred. think so. I, I started having some uh, involvement in these kinds of issues back years before 9-11 when I was with the police association. And we were dealing with the presence of organized crime groups at seaports. It's the same basic kind of an idea. Because of the work that's being done in the location, there was specialized screening that uh, had to take place. And there was an acknowledgement 
you know, that uh, you had to continue those standards. You had to report certain, uh, any kinds of incidents like charges or things like that. Uh, and not everybody, by the way, who works at an airport has access to every location in the airport. They're called uh, RAKES, Restricted Access Identity Cards. And that's one of the things that, that I, rem- I also recall. I used to sit on the Chiefs of Police Aviation Security Conference, and their number one or committee, and their number one concern of the police agencies involved is what they called non-passenger screening, which is exactly these guys, to make sure that, in effect, people weren't able to access part, portions of the airport, the higher security places, that they didn't have the approval to do. So um, that is an issue that is always going to be with us where we have to balance this stuff. I mean, you don't simply pass a rule that says that anybody who goes to a mosque can't work at an airport. But equally, it is entirely legitimate for us to be asking questions about the kind of activity like was described in this investigation, because for somebody to be displaying that kind of activity is sufficient grounds to say, well, okay, you know, but you're not going to be working at an airport. We're not going to take that risk. And that's the kind of analysis that has to be done on an ongoing basis. What I'm curious about as well is what standards do you have to uh, meet? What what are the parameters that uh, that that if you if you break through those parameters, if you if you break the rules, what are the rules that uh, that exist to uh, to make sure that you are actually living within the expectations of working at an airport? In other words, what caused what might have caused these four individuals to be identified? Well, my my guess is just from the what I've read in the media is that probably. Um, either some of their co-workers at the airport or people that they were communicating with on social media probably, you know, and who knew that they worked at an airport, probably recognized that, you know, this was of concern and alerted authorities that therefore prompted, you know, some investigations into these people. Well, doesn't that speak volumes about airport security? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you? Doesn't that speak volumes about airport security? Well, sure, Although, in fairness, it's not just airport security. It's you're dealing with any kind of a uh, location that has security ramifications to it. And in today's world, uh, you know, that, that includes, you know, generically mass population venues. Airports have developed into a specialized target, obviously, for these guys. And that's why it's appropriate to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. But you're talking about an awful lot of people who are working in a lot of different kinds of uh, uh, job functions. Um, and as I say, the thing I think in particular for me is to make sure that not only is the screening done initially and done properly initially, but the information is, is shared with all of the law enforcement agencies, something I think the RCMP has concerns about, but also that it's got this ongoing aspect to it, like is demonstrated in this case, uh, because that's the nature of the world in which we live, is that people get radicalized, people you know, develop risk profiles that they didn't have at the time that they signed up, and we have to be aware of it based on the nature of the location. Let me take a quick break. I'm going to come back and uh, speak to you some more about this. Scott Newark is with us. We're talking about the uh, situation at Trudeau Airport in Montreal, four individuals anyway, who um, were concerning to police that they may become radicalized, and at least one individual spending considerable time on ISIS websites, and another one looking uh, for some period of time also at sites where the explosive devices were being made, so on how to create an explosive device. And do different governments react differently? Would a conservative federal government react differently to a liberal federal government um, when it comes to incidents like this one? 
Is the Liberal government less likely to step in and say, we're going to change the, the regulations or make things more strict or more um, questioning around here to respond to this? Or is it better to just leave things the way they are? It worries, it worries me to a certain extent that, and, and I, I suspect that Scott is correct, that somebody on the outside, somebody's not involved with the police, not involved with the airport specifically, may have alerted authorities to their concerns based on what they knew these four were doing. Come back in a minute. Passionate, patriotic, a little bit pugilistic, and always professional. Hear what Roy Green has to say on the Chorus Radio Network. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. Alberta View on uh, Twitter uh, tweets, How do they know they found everyone? Just need one sympathetic person with the right badge to slip something into a secure area. And we're talking about at least four individuals who have been uh, reassigned or who have left their employment at Montreal's Trudeau Airport. And uh, police had concerns they were being radicalized with one individual spending... A great deal of time on ISIS-related websites and another one on websites which explained how to create explosive devices. Uh, Scott, does one government react differently? Would we have seen a different response to the situation from a conservative government of Stephen Harper to the reaction we're seeing or aren't seeing yet from the Trudeau government? Or is a lot of it done under the surface, as it were? Yeah, I I think that is uh, probably a fair comment to make that... uh and in fairness as well, too, the nature, as I tried to uh, mention before, the nature of the threat environment that you're dealing with means that there is, there really isn't a simple, you know, um, do this and everything is uh, completely safe answer to things. Uh, if you're dealing with uh, something like an airport where you have so many people that are uh, employed, you want to have initial screening. I think the biggest uh, thing that, that probably requires some uh, uh, additional and uh, uh, work is in uh, making sure that people only have access to the areas that they should have access to, which means using different kinds of technologies to mean that, you know, like when somebody opens a door, that not that three people can't go through that kind of thing. But the concern that was expressed, for example, in the email that you read is entirely accurate. I mean, it, that, that has been the experience um, in different airports around the world. The uh, 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 Professional uh, uh, Custom Services Union, I, I recall, in uh, France expressed concern about the number of Islamist-inspired uh, people that were working at the uh, French airports. Uh, in uh, Egypt and in uh, Mogadishu airports, the belief is that there were explosives actually loaded on airplanes. I mean, it is a real concern that will be going on that uh, just because of the nature of the environment and the fact that it has this sort of symbolic uh, target for these uh, guys, uh, and that, that leads me, if I, if I can, to the one other thing that I think is uh, we need to actually actively look at. We've got to make sure that we've got the appropriate and best use of law enforcement resources at airports precisely because of the potential target that they are. Your listeners, Roy, will probably be amazed to know that, you know, there's uh, different police agencies that are at the, uh, the airports, uh, the RCMP are at international airports, local police, not in very great numbers. Uh, but as well, of course, the Canada Border Services Agency officers are there because they're at the international airports, and those officers are now armed. But you know what? Because of a, a Transport Canada uh, restriction, the CBSA officers who were there 
have to lock their guns in a cupboard. They're not allowed to wear them. So can you imagine if somebody comes running through the airport screaming Allah Akbar and shooting people and you've got a CBSA officer, what's he supposed to do, hide under the desk? It's those kinds of modernizations, I think, and actually using, making sure that we're using the best kinds of resources and the best kinds of intelligence that is what's necessary. But I don't want to underestimate that this is always going to be an ongoing challenge, but it's a good idea that you pay attention to this kind of stuff like this, uh, these reports that were done that uh, uh, you've mentioned so that you can learn from them and try to you know, adjust uh, because the threat is not going away anytime soon. Let me ask you this question quickly, former Crown Attorney. Um, you know, the federal government, there's a committee that's looking now into Islamophobia and uh, what Islamophobia is, although they haven't defined it, but they're going to come back in about, was it eight months, 240 days? They're going to come back with a report on how to deal with Islamophobia. Is it possible that if this committee, parliamentary committee, uh, provides a broad-based definition of Islamophobia and says if you're approaching, if you're taking this approach publicly or privately in conversation that you're an Islamophobe, do you think the kind of story that we're talking about now could fall into the category of being Islamophobic, depending on what, the, what this committee come up, comes up with? Uh, no. Uh, I don't think, if, for example, the committee was to make that kind of a recommendation, I think that would be so stupid people would just reject it uh, completely out of hand. Um, you know, I, I like to refer to myself as uh, Islamocognizant. In other words, I'm aware of all of the aspects of Islamism, which is the political nature of Islam. And that phrase, by the way, Islamophobia, that actually has a political history to it. The Organization for Islamic Cooperation, which is, I think it's 58 different Islamic countries, they've created an organization, and they've been pushing this notion for uh, uh, more than a decade. Yeah. And the idea is, is that they... Uh, want to have the same kind of condemnation of what they call, quotation marks, Islamophobia, which when, it, when you drill down to it, what it really means is no criticism of the religion of Islam. All right. Okay, so you're not supposed to, according to this, the, the uh, as I understand the meaning of it, and I invite people to, you know, check it out. No, I only have now. a few now, seconds, Scott. that long to find out, folks, yep. um, that you're not allowed to question or to analyze okay. or even criticize any of the tenets or practices of, of the, the, the different kinds of uh, uh, tenets of Islam, that's not who we are. Okay, in Scott, I've got to run. Societies. We, you know, we have the uh, self-confidence and the courage right. to be able to ask questions about things and to offer okay. comment. My friend, I have to run. I thank you for the time. All right, Roy. Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta. When we come back, what happened in the Philippines? Two Canadians beheaded. We'll talk to the sister of one of those two men. Stay with us.